Welcome to Seeing Beyond Risk, a podcast series from the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. I'm Chris Vivoli, Staff Actuary Communications and Public Affairs at the CIA. This is the second in a series of two podcasts addressing IFRS 17 implementation for PNC actuaries. Last time we talked about the transition readiness test and the role of the appointed actuary. And today we're going to delve into items such as financial condition testing and key performance indicators. Again, we're joined by CIA members Sadie McLean and Houston Chang. Thank you once more for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be back. Thanks for the invite. Well, let's start off talking about FCT, financial condition testing. What changes are happening for IFRS 17? Uh, there's been a, quite a bit of work, and we, we kind of started out earlier this summer knowing that it would be a lot of work, but uh, there's we've spent quite a couple months now uh, putting and uh, updating our, our current FCT model, and we realized there are a few things that are, some are harder, some are easier, and other things are just, we'll have to take some sh- shortcuts on, at least for now, right? As an example, one of the hardest things to model LRC is really just that it's much more granular now. There's a lot more pieces and floating parts within there uh, as compared to in the past where UPR is fairly straightforward. The LRC is much more, I wouldn't say onerous, but it, it's a lot more work to put that together. But on the onerous portion, there's, there's especially more work on onerous contracts if they're onerous. Um, and again, a, a similar comparison to our first four onerous contract would be Premium liabilities, it, it was quite a bit more straightforward to model that, whereas now with owner's contract, we've had to put a lot of thinking behind it and how to model it to a level of detail that's sufficient for the FCT, but not necessarily at the same level of detail as for financial reporting. Um, and that's especially true if we are allowing for multi-year contracts. So some of these things we've either currently scoped out or uh, have a reduced capacity for. Another area that we've had to put a bit, quite a bit more work on this portion of modeling is the reinsurance. Right, so the view of the reinsurance is, is quite different under FRS 17 versus 4. Right, so we used to model uh, on a gross and net basis, whereas now we've switched our model to gross and seeded just because of the enhanced focus on reinsurance contracts as a standalone contract. Um, and I would say the last piece on this is uh, the work on the LIC, even though most of the discounting and PFAT, if you converted it to discounting and risk adjustment, is fairly straightforward, or you can make it fairly, uh, fairly straightforward. There is some work required to come up with the insurance finance expense and insurance service expense split. Um, even though from, from my perspective, it, it this, this split doesn't really impact capital. It is a big portion of IFRS 17. So, you know, we, we have put some thinking and, and resource around splitting the incurred claim to finance expense and service expense, but that does create quite a bit more work. I'll leave it at that and, and open for some comments from you too, Sati. Yeah, Houston, it's it's quite interesting as we are racing towards 1 Jan 2023 in terms of IFRS 17 implementation. I think a lot of organisations have been concentrating, as we said last time in the, in the previous podcast, about getting over that finish line. And a question that does come to my mind is whether there are sufficient resources um, so that IFRS 17 FCT is ready. A lot of uh, companies, they've worked through their transition figures. We know that there will be some impacts on the minimum capital test, which will be different under IFRS 4 and IFRS 17. And, and really the FCT testing will need to be calibrated to, to be able to pick up from that different starting point. And actuaries, I think the ones who are doing the FCT testing in the second half of the year are really going to have to have a view as to what that impact is in terms of internal targets going into 2023 when IFRS 17 will be live. It's quite interesting, Houston, you sort of talked about the level of detail that's required and uh, and, and it's being a lot more detailed under IFRS 17 in terms of FCT modelling versus IFRS 4. IFRS 17, personally, I found that the devil really is in the detail. 
you know, many companies as they're building out the FCT models, they're having to think about how to adapt their current view of their of the balance sheet to be able to incorporate IFRS 17 policy decisions and you know the impact on the on the presentation of the financials. OSFI proformers need to be incorporated into FCT models as well. And some of the impacts, even if on transition, the MCT for a company doesn't change very much. Maybe when running some of these stress scenarios that are run in, in the FCT, they do see that there's a different view of the stress under an IFRS 17 view of the financials versus IFRS 4. So in principle, the stress scenarios themselves may not be very different, but the presentation in the financials could look different. I think a lot of actuaries are going to have to work through the sort of understanding where the most significant differences are. We're not going to be able to solve everything in a day, and especially to get that early view of IFRS 17 when the FCT models are still work in progress. You know, having a view of where some of those key differences are will be important. The other things for me that jump to FCT are, will any additional tests be required? Discount rate jumping to mind for me at the moment, in particular given the current environment, but that would be the case under IFRS 4 as well as IFRS 17. But for instance, for IFRS 17, is there a divergence uh, in, in terms of the impact of, of the discount rate, given that the liabilities and, and the assets and the return on assets and the discounting needs for liabilities are decoupled in some way? So, well, they, they are decoupled in terms of how you're meant to do the assessment of the discount rate for assessing your liabilities. So are there any additional stress scenarios that would need to be run to sort of test that impact on the MCT? And risk adjustment? That's something where the current risk adjustments could be quite different to PFAT. Are there any additional tests that will be needed to, to sort of kick the tyres in, in terms of a, a company's um, financial robustness using an IFRS 17 metric around risk adjustments? And then lastly, my mind goes to the board and what do they need to know? And, and I think every company's board is going to be at a different point in terms of their journey with IFRS 17 financials. And FCT, when you sort of lay that on top of, you know, boards trying to get familiar with the new geography of IFRS 17 financials, it means that, you know, there may be some additional education that's needed. And, and especially if any stress scenarios result in a different impact on the MCT, the minimum capital test is currently the case, then that's going to need some communication and explanation. Um, and, and lastly, I'll just say IFRS 17, as we go into 2023, we know it will evolve. And hopefully it's an evolution as opposed to a pivot. I know we like to use the word pivot a lot these days, but um, hopefully we're not going to pivot in IFRS 17. But whatever happens, whether it's an evolution or a pivot, FCT is going to, you know, and, and the actuaries running FCT and, and, and communicating FCT results, they'll need to, to be prepared to evolve with that. I mean, I definitely agree with you, Satim, and I think I, I do see it as an evolution on, on the modeling. We we are taking this opportunity to enhance some of the existing pieces within our model. And, and you know, you, you brought up a lot of great points in, in terms of the actual uh, modeling and, and kind of the, the analysis within the testing on, on and kind of communication between the point of actuary and the board and management and kind of understanding the difference between 4 and 17. So good points in, in terms of uh, needing to come up with potentially different different scenarios, right? Because some of the scenarios may may interact differently just because of the, the breakage of the discount versus the investment yield, right? So I think there's a lot of areas where you, you definitely touched on that and made some good points there. Let's turn to key performance indicators. We're likely to see some changes under IFRS 17. What are these going to look like? When I think of KPIs uh, for insurance, you know, there are some obvious ones that come to mind. You know, firstly, you know, how much 
money or how much business are we writing? Uh, what is our revenue? And then secondly, how much money are we making? I.e., is it profitable? And, and, and it often tends to be a focus as well around our expenses. How much does it cost for us to generate that business and, and run our business? And, and, and often the KPIs are used to assess internally, looking at different products, are, are certain products more successful and more profitable than others? And then also being able to compare against other, you know, the industries and, and industry and other players within the industry and, and the market. So under IFRS 17, what's changing? Premiums. We are, instead of having written premium and earned premium as a metric that, that we'll be able to look at in the financials, we're going to have insurance revenue, which is comparable to, to earned premium. And for a lot of insurers, I don't think that will necessarily look very different to, to what they have today. So are we going to be able to still get a measure of revenue? I think so, yes. Reinsurers could see a difference due to the way seeded commissions will be treated, i.e. that they won't be shown in premium, uh, rather the premiums will be net of any seeding commissions that are paid directly to a seedant. So it'd be quite interesting to see how the reinsurance industry looks like. But overall, we should be able to get a view of premium and revenue. If we look at where that premium goes, uh, we obviously have to pay losses. And under IFRS 17, the discount impacts and also the risk adjustment and the way they flow through the financials could mean that we see a different level of losses and incurred losses going through the income statements. And so and companies' policy decisions, I've mentioned IFRS 17 policy decisions before, but the policy decisions will really dictate how some of those losses get recognised through the financial statements, how the discounting is being done, and as well well as, you know, if, if an insurer decides, you know, has decided to use the other comprehensive income to present the change in discount rates, well, you know, comparing two insurers that have a different policy there, I mean, that, that even though you've got the same business, you could see a different level of losses coming through. And also, if, if an insurer has something like a loss component that they have to recognise, the way that goes flows through the financials into the insurance expenses and then and, and thereby then sort of flows into the income could look quite different to, to what we see under IFRS 4. But the real, one of the big measures on for P&C that we look at when it comes to profitability is core, the combined operating ratio. And, and effectively, it's a ratio of how much have you earned in terms of premiums, uh, less your losses and, and, and expenses. And then a core that's less than 100 indicates profitability. A core that's more than 100 would need a bit of digging because there could be some reasons why a core more than 100 is OK. But typically, you know, the, the gold standard is you, you want your core to be less than 100. And, and in some cases, quite a lot less than 100 to indicate you're making enough profits. So what's going to happen with the combined operating ratio? And I think this is going to be a really interesting question for us in Canada as well as globally. How is discounting going to be brought into that? Uh, currently, a lot of companies look at undiscounted combined operating ratio measures. Uh, under IFRS 17, discounting is going to be embedded in there. How are a component such as the loss component be considered? So you could have a combined operating ratio in an IFRS 17 world that looks very profitable but a company that's posting a lot of liability under under loss components, what does that mean? So, so I think there will be KPIs that will be impacted and we're going to be on a journey really to, to kind of understand and decipher what an IFRS 17 world means, I think, before we can then come up with what some longer term metrics or normalised metrics would look like. I don't know, Houston, what do you think? I'm, I'm seeing a theme here, Sati, right? So we, we talked about evolution in, in, in the FCT, and I think this is definitely a bit of an evolution as well, and, and maybe a, a step jump and then continuing involvement. Your point on the integration of discounting and KPIs, that's definitely something that I've been hearing a lot of companies ask that question, right? So um, both in terms of uh, internal management, 
broker compensation, oftentimes discounting, and, and to some extent, maybe even PFADs have not been included uh, internally, but some companies, and, and this might differ depending on the type of company, be it you know mutual or uh, publicly held or, or whatnot. So different insurers do have different needs, right? So some some companies are thinking, well, if, if my financials are under FR17, maybe we, we, need, we ought to manage it internally as well based on that basis. So questions around granularity, how, how, how detailed do we model, right? And obviously, when we talk about discounting and then risk adjustment, how do we integrate some of these into our KPIs? And then on the granularity, some of the questions around, and same as the FCT, right? Do we do we care to split the service expense and finance expense? Is that something that can be measured and, and, and tracked? And other areas that may also, uh, I think just t- uh, building on top of what you talked about, Sati, with the core, is that going to now loop back more so into into the owner's contract consideration if it wasn't specifically tracked for uh, reserving purpose or valuation purpose, right? So um, these are things that I think you know, will continue to evolve. Uh, other areas, not I wouldn't say this is typically a, a, a KPI, though uh, it, it, it does measure capital, right? So internal target will likely need to be revisited, right? So some companies already did revisit their internal capital and internal target uh, this year, kind of based on the various OSFI quizzes and uh, internal measures. Uh, measurements. I think the message here is, you know, the the, me- the measurement sticks changed, right? MCT calculation, as much as on an industry-wide basis, you know, after various adjustments that OSFI has made, it's it's largely neutral for different companies. I think there are some impacts uh, either way, plus or minuses. So the fact that the measurement stick has changed, it certainly merits a look on the internal target, right? So um, that's something that uh, I think Sati, you and I talked about earlier this week as to, you know, companies we need to be prepared for and what what time what's the timing of that preparation? Like, do we need to prepare this for Q1 or is this something that we do in conjunction with FCT next year? Right. So we're certainly in a bit of a transition here. Uh, it will be interesting to see how how much effort and, and resources actuaries and companies can put into uh, this type of work. And I think the last point I'll make on the KPIs, and it's really, again, the underlying theme here, just trying to bridge the gap between IFRS 4 and 17. Like, what does it mean from changing to 4 and 17? And, and Sati, you certainly went into a lot of the details as to, you know, the premiums and claims and, and things along those lines as, on what's changed. I think overall, that that's really the name in the game. You know, there are things that companies, regulators, management, they're used to looking at under FRS4, and now they either have been eliminated or changed or modified under 17. So it's really taking that that lens and, and you know, either looking across the industry to see what, what others are doing or maybe doing some digging internally and just seeing what, what matters most for, for you as a company. It was quite interesting uh, um, as, as you were going through the KPIs and, and also when I did this, uh, I very much looked at it from a perspective of IFRS 17 versus IFRS 4. The other interesting aspects will be whether other industries, um, there are KPIs that are used by other industries that the insurance industry currently doesn't use that actually become part of the way we describe the financials. Uh, you know, um, that certainly this sh- it should be possible to compare life and, and PNC companies, uh, insurance companies a lot more, but are they going to be better comparables with banks? Are insurance companies going to be compared with the Amazons and the Apples and the Nikes of the world? It would be quite interesting to see if there are additional metrics that, that, that get added to how we describe com- the, the financials of an insurance company. Okay, uh, well, certainly this is a new world for everyone. And I'm just wondering, for people who aren't as close to the action, so for example, actuaries that are doing valuation roles, uh, what are the major things they should look out for? How will this impact them, even if they're not directly involved in valuation and financial reporting? 
I think definitely if you are a user, as an actuary, if you're a user of the financial statements in whatever role you're in, it's highlighting the differences again, the major theme of, you know, needing to know some of the difference between our first four and 17, right? So I think one of those key things is that discounter, discounting is no longer linked with assets, right? So in terms of your investment policies and, and strategy and how you invest, that that may be different. Um, and, and just the fact that there, there has been some changes in the MCT calculation, along with the actual delinking of the yields between assets and li- liabilities on, on the income statement. I, I think that's one area where it could impact the different areas within the company, for example, in pricing, right? How do you consider discount rate now, right? In the past, companies may have used the similar discount rate as the, the valuation, but now it's, does that make sense, right? Is it time to go back go to, time to go back to the drawing board and see uh, what discount rate makes sense for pricing? Other areas, right, in, in Canada, I think a lot of companies and actuaries were used to, and, and this is actually, not, again, these are actuaries not in context of valuation, but actuaries are familiar with the concept of PFAD, right? In terms of the PFAD's uh, methodology and, and how you come up with it, the, the three main components of the PFAD, right? So now we're moving into an area where it's no longer familiar, right? There's no comparability that we had across the industry, right? Where in the past, if you take any line of business, auto or liability, you, you would get to a pretty close margin across uh, the industry just because of uh, the longevity that we've had with this approach, right? We we do know that, you know, short tail versus long tail and, and data availability and whatnot. Com- uh, actuaries have been in, in more or less the driver's seat of, of determining that and we have comparability. Now, post-transition, we, we don't have that anymore. And I think at least for the first few years where companies have been, you know, in, in their little boardrooms or drawing or huddle rooms or virtually talking about this, uh, you know, now we're going to start seeing some some public statements, right, in terms of, you know, the filed statements with the regulators and we can start to compare across the industry uh, on how companies are, are approaching the risk adjustment, you might to start get some alignment, right? Um, and and that, that depends on, on, I think, the approach that the companies have decided to do. Um, and you might have differences between domestically held versus foreign, foreignly held companies where, you know, the foreign companies will have some sort of element from global and from headquarter uh, in terms of how they set the risk adjustment, whereas uh, for Canadian held companies, it would be, be different. So I, I, I think this is one area where, you know, you know, if you're new to 17 or if you're not in the valuation process, it will take some learning and understanding that there will be differences between companies. And other area where, you know, if you're not in an evaluation actuary, it, it's really just understanding Again, reconciling difference between four and seventeen, right? So uh, one one example might be, you know, if you're you're used to looking at loss ratios within an income statement, technically not there anymore. What do you do? And, and it will take some time to reorient uh, reorient yourself on those things. Yeah, Houston, it's quite interesting in terms of reorientation. Um, I, I think fundamentally, when I look at it, IFRS 17 is an accounting standard. It's an assessment of liability at two points in time, uh, with the income statement explaining or showing what happens in between. The fundamentals are the same, but the geography of the income statement and, and the balance sheet are quite different in some places. And if there's any any advice I'd have for anyone sort of not familiar with IFRS 17 and, and kind of thinking about getting themselves familiar, is to get familiar with the new terminology. And I think that that will go a long way. I certainly find myself translating back, you know, from IFRS 17 into IFRS 4, which feels a lot more familiar and understandable, and then going back to IFRS 17 to then go, okay, this is this is what the new world looks like. And actuaries 
I think, uh, you know, we, we sometimes get accused of going into the detail a bit too much and potential paralysis by analysis. And, and I think that there's a risk as, as IFRS 17 results start to become available that we're going to have, in some ways, a lot more information, in some ways, a lot less information. And we're going to have to make sense of it. And, and IFRS 17, I think, is going to, to feel weird. And, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of new information to, to digest and make sense of. It will take some time before we get to a steady state and understand what the IFRS 17 results at an industry level look like, and as well as where individual players lie. But you know, regardless if you're if you're a valuation actuary or a capital actuary or a pricing actuary, having a, a fundamental understanding of where the industry sits, you know, if there's a product you're designing, well, what does it look like when you when you run it through the financials? Does it still look quite so profitable or not, or is it as profitable as you need it to be to be able to compete in the market? You know, having an understanding of of, of what's happening at industry level, what the financials look like and, and how your company or, or your product could compare is, is, is I think, just a fundamental of, of one of the you know, roles that actuaries play. We look at the financials, you know, we look at the numbers and, and, and we help our companies understand what the impacts and the implications are. And then, so in terms of, you know, why, why, why this is important for, for all actuaries and not just valuation actuaries, the, the IFRS 17, as I said, it describes the financials of an insurance company and where insurers are competing for capital against other industries and insurers. The financials provide a view on how one company measures up against another. Obviously, the financial view isn't everything. There are other metrics that the organisations are measured on and, and, and they track ESG being uh, something that's that's very hotly debated and tracked and discussed these days. But the financials are key to describing how profitable or not an insurance company is. And I think as actuary, who are familiar with numbers, we're well placed to help senior management and others in the organisation to understand how to read the numbers. You know, whether, as I said, you're working in a corporate actuarial role or, or capital or pricing, our familiarity and our understanding of how insurance company financials are pulled together and what they mean is I consider to be a fundamental actuarial skill and we need to be able to do it in an IFRS 17 world. And, and lastly, just to add to something that Houston said in terms of different, you know, jurisdictions and, and, and different uh, countries uh, adopting IFRS 17, I, th- I think we have to remember it is an almost global standard that's intended to bring comparability within the insurance industry, but it's not universal. Famously, the US isn't going here, isn't going to be adopting IFRS 17. And also, when you get into that, you know, we talked about the devils in the detail, but when you get into the detail of it, it may not be as easy to compare one company to the next, depending on the accounting standards that, you know, uh, sorry, the accounting policy decisions that they've made. So, you know, understanding what some of the key metrics are or the key decisions are that companies could make and how they could affect the, the view of the financials, even if you are not the one doing the valuation, I think is going to be really important. And yeah. Okay. I know you had some thoughts to share about newer actuaries and why it would be important for them to get involved with IFRS 17. So if we could talk about that, that'd be great. I think, as I mentioned, like understanding the financials and being able to explain the financials is a really important fundamental actuarial skill that's, uh, you know, enables us to assess how well an insurance company is doing, make peer comparisons, and also, you know, get a glimpse into potential headwinds that that a company or or a product could be facing. I think for for a newer actuary sort of coming into the profession, you know, kind of thinking about where they would want to go or, or, or get exposure and experience. Currently, IFRS 17 is the biggest accounting change to hit the industry in a very long time. IFRS 17 is new to a lot of people and newer actuaries aren't limited in their ability to learn and apply IFRS 17 and, and engage in the dialogue early on. And that isn't necessarily always the case in more well-established areas. I think at the moment, 
there's a steep learning curve for everyone and newer actuaries shouldn't be put off by the fact that, you know, maybe they don't know, know as much. I think this is the case for a lot of people. I think it's a real opportunity for actuaries to kind of come in and also sort of help others in the organisation understand IFRS 17. That That's an interesting question, Chris. I mean, it, it's certainly coming to, well, we talk about getting close to the finish line. In, in various prior settings, either at the A seminar or even I think at Act 22 this year, we talked about, you know, this is the year where we're six months, three months now, two months away from the 1-1-2023 timeframe. But I, I think there's going to be a lot of companies and a lot of processes that will still uh, need to be finalized. Right? So companies where, you know, they're really just getting over the line. I don't know if it's a jog or a hump or, or just a bit of a just <laughs> just got to do it and get over it. But there's going to be a lot of areas where there's room for improvement, right, in terms of uh, how you do things, the documentation, um, or, or even in, in terms of uh, improving and, and making processes feel better within the actuarial uh, side of things, as well as overall within the company. So I think there was a lot of, well, I wouldn't say excitement, but there, there was a lot of interesting work, right, that came out of our first 17, where, you know, if, if you're not scared of the unknown, there was a lot of areas where you could explore, right? Different models that you can build, different processes that, that you can work on. I think the opportunity is still sort of there, even though we're, we're getting close to uh, the implementation timeframe. There will be areas where, you know, as a new actuary entering profession, you know, the profession, you have skills that the more experienced actuaries may not have, right? So tools that you know how to use, and you might just see a better way of doing things. So I think that's certainly an area where I do see some of the newer actuaries into the professions can help on, on Afro 17 still. Well, we're coming close to the end of 2022 and coming close to the end of this episode. So let's wrap up with a question. Do either of you have any New Year's resolutions pertaining to IFRS? I think for me, it kind of dovetails on what just what I just talked about, right? So I think it would be nice to have a push button operation for some of these things, right? One resolution could be to develop a push button operation to get, uh, for example, the OSFI's requirements on from the AA, right? So there's quite a bit of requirements from OSFI on uh, reporting various aspects of uh, for 17 details, and and these there are various tables and and d- uh, data that OSFI's gathering from AAs, and I think it would be nice just to have a push button operation where you know, I can just push a button and, and make that, that data gets extracted or aggregated uh, automatically. And, and that's where I, I am speaking to some of the new actuaries uh, entering the profession. And then, uh, yeah, and the New Year's resolutions. I'm not very good at New Year's resolutions, but <laughs> firstly, I think maybe getting some sleep. It's been very busy. Some some R&R is needed just to kind of like make sure that got the energy for the final push and to be ready for the storm. I don't think we're quite in the eye of the storm yet. I think there's a lot that needs to needs to happen and it will continue to unfold in 2023. One thing I think a big takeaway for me is that it doesn't have to be perfect. We don't have to get everything right we need to get the important parts right and we're not necessarily going to have everything right on the 1st of January 2023 and and we're going to need to be able to figure out how to course correct if necessary but I have to say I am excited about 2023 I see some huge opportunities in terms of taking IFRA 17 forward helping peers and and you know within the organization understand and decipher what this means I think we're getting towards the top of the mountain and I'm really looking forward to admiring the views and not thinking about having to try and come down at the other at the other end of it 
<laughs> that, that, that's a that's a great analogy, Sati. Um, and I'm going to sneak in one more resolution. So I think, you know, after 17 may be coming to a close, but I, I, I think I tend to agree that we're not close to the eye of the storm. And, you know, at some point we will reach the top of the mountain. But and I've talked to you about this, Sati, earlier in the week, I think. And you mentioned this, uh, you sneaked it in in one of your discussion too on ESG. And I think that's really one of the things that that's beyond IFR 17. And I'm starting to get the view that IFR 17 is a, is a dress rehearsal. So, you know, it was a, a pretty large mountain to climb for the insurance industry. But I think the, the next wave that it's already here in, across all industries is ESG. And I think 17 gave us a lot of tools and processes and and, and kind of challenged actuaries and, and, and insurance companies to report under a different standard. And I think we're going to have a brand new challenge coming ahead in the next few years. That sounds good. So thanks once again for speaking to us today. And thanks for doing this miniseries with us. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. We now have over 150 episodes in our podcast series going back over the past three years, so we encourage everybody to subscribe. You could do so through whatever platform you use to get your podcasts, and we'd like to hear from you. So if you have any suggestions or episode ideas, you can send them to podcasts at cia-ica.ca. And we're always looking for content for our Seeing Beyond Risk blog, so if you have some ideas you would like to share, you can contact us at seeingbeyondrisk at cia-ica.ca. And we've recently launched a new site covering all the exciting changes to the CIA qualification system, so please check that out at www.education.cia-ica.ca. Until next time, I'm Chris Fivoli, and thank you for tuning in to Seeing Beyond Risk.